It's Monday, and that means it's time for a new episode of Interviewing People, the career cast where you can learn about a variety of careers from people actually doing the work. Today I'll be talking with Ben Etzler and Ryan Caligiri, who once walked these halls and are now active military in the U.S. Navy and U.S. Army, respectively. Ben and Ryan will be sharing about their journeys, including their boot camp and deployment experiences and much more. So enjoy the show. Welcome back to another edition of the Interviewing People Careercast. And today we have uh, two visitors with us, and they are both active military members. So I've interviewed some people in the military in the past, but they've all been out of the military by the time I interviewed them. So today we have Ben Etzler with us who is in the U.S. Navy, and Ryan Caligiri, who is in the U.S. Army. And they're going to be talking about their experiences, both in the Army and in civilian life, and how those two mesh, and hopefully provide some insights for anyone who might be interested in going into the military as part of their career path. So Ryan and Ben, thank you very, very much for getting together with me today. And I guess we'll just start by having both of you talk a little bit about how you decided to go into the military. And Ben, why don't we go ahead and start with you? All right. Thank you for having us again. Um, so uh, I graduated Van Buren High School back in 2005. Um, and looking at the college options I had, I figured that uh, I needed a little bit more uh, structure and uh, figured a little bit of military time would work to get that done. And uh, went for the, the Navy option just based off of uh, family history between Army or Navy. And I liked the career options I was given with the Navy more. Uh, joined expecting to do a six-year contract and then get out. And uh, that was back in 2005, 2006, and I'm still in. So um, been stationed in three different states, uh, done four deployments during that time. And uh, that's why I'm here. Very cool. All right, Ryan, what, tell us a little bit about how you decided to go into the Army. Yeah, um, I guess mine starts actually at Van Buren. We had to do, I think it was my junior year, like a research paper, hey, where you're going to go to college. Um, and my whole life, my parents have told me they're not going to pay for me to go to college. They've been pretty clear about that. Uh, so I started looking into the academies at that time. I applied to um, West Point. Uh, I got tentatively accepted pending like one piece of paper I had to submit. Um, and also looked into ROTC uh, after meeting with uh, the head of ROTC at Green State University. You know, they offered me a full ride scholarship uh, and broke down the advantages to ROTC over one of the academies. Uh, so, you know, I chose to pursue, pursue ROTC to receive a commission. Uh, so that was I started in 2004 after I graduated high school, uh, commissioned into the Army in 2008. Uh, and I've been here ever since. Uh, my original plan was, hey, they're going to pay for me to go to school. I'm going to do the minimum commitment. And similar to kind of what Ben said, like, hey, let me get this and then move on. Uh, and now it's 2022 and I'm still here. So I don't foresee me leaving until they kick me out <laughs> too old or have to retire. <laughs> so I'm interested, um, the idea that you were considering going to West Point what were some of the advantages that they said or and that you discovered by going to Bowling Green with the ROTC program? Yeah, so at the end, um, regardless of the source of commissioning, right? So to become an officer, you have to get a commission, uh, and that's either through a college degree uh, at a traditional school, i.e. Bowling Green, 
or something like one of the service academies, you know, right down the street from where I'm at now, we have VMI, which is a pretty big one, West Point, et cetera. Um, but you still get the same commission at the end. So you're an officer regardless. Uh, there was just a lot more restrictions in going to West Point. Um, there are definitely benefits at the end when it was all done, but I wasn't entirely sure, you know, what I wanted to be when I was a grown up per se. Right. Uh, and West Point was a lot more restrictive. I mean, even in terms of degrees, uh, at that time, there was like 16 majors you could choose from. Uh, West Point's based in engineering, so they're all engineering related. Uh, and it wasn't something I wanted to do. I wanted to be a teacher, which is what I went to school for uh, and I'm doing now, coincidentally. Um, so it allowed me to pursue that civilian career path that I wanted, uh, where West Point was more restricted and said, hey, you had to go for this. Stuff. Um, and if I remember the Air Force Academy and the Navy Academy, um, both had the sim similar restrictions. Um, so it was very narrow career-based post-army career or military career, uh, where if I went through RC, I could major in underwater basket weaving if I wanted to. Uh, <laughs> they just needed me to get a degree. Right. Now, Ben, I see, uh, based on your LinkedIn profile, that over the course of your uh, time in the Navy, you have attended uh, Excelsior College, where you earned a bachelor's degree, and then you just recently earned a master's degree from the University of Charleston. Can you talk a little bit about how the Navy has helped you earn those, those uh, degrees and what led you to go to school when you did? And you're kind of the opposite of Ryan. Ryan went to college first and went, then went to the military. You put in some time in the military and then you went back to college. Can you explain your thoughts behind uh, that process? Absolutely. So, uh, Back in 2013-ish timeframe is when I transferred off my first ship, went to a, a shore command. And uh, the every military branch has some amount of uh, military accreditation that can play towards college benefits. Um, depending on the, the school field or the rating you're in or the uh, field you're in, those credits can change and, and vary with various colleges. So Excelsior College complements my field very well. Um, and then on top of that, you have the GI Bill, which is something that you can, you can tap into while you're in the service or after you separate and then use uh, as a veteran. Uh, while you're in, however, there's a lot of college opportunities that are presented similar to civilian sectors where they'll pay for some amount of college while you're working for that organization. Um, I was able to use that benefit, it's called tuition assistance, uh, to pay for my, my uh, bachelor's. And then following that, it does pay for your first master's degree as well. So uh, following within the stipends for that, which they change based off of uh, budgeting and funding uh, periodically, but you're able to get uh, the degrees through that over a period of time. So while Ryan was able to go ahead and do it in a very compressed period of time, mine was a very drawn out process because I was doing it while also working in a full-time position. Right. So that I'm assuming was all, all online education. It was all online. Both of those are online degrees. Okay. Okay. Um, so obviously that helped. I saw that both of you had some certifications. I uh, saw that both of you have had jobs uh, while you have been in the military. So, uh, ben, let's just stick with you. It talked a little bit about you working at Bechtel National Incorporated. I guess, how did that work with having that job and still being in the Navy and so forth? So Bechtel National Incorporated, it's a long story. Bechtel is now owned by a, a company called NNL, Naval Nuclear Laboratories. 
Um, it's a site, it's a training command we have in upstate New York for training and uh, certifying potential <clears throat> nuclear operators to go on to their first uh, submarine or ship to go be nuclear operators to operate the Navy's nuclear reactors. Um, so it's under, it was under that umbrella that that title showed up on my LinkedIn. Um, that's really what that is. So uh, it's really an instructor job is what that actually comes out to be. Okay. So still part of the Navy, even though it Absolutely. shows up a little bit differently. And both you and Ryan, both have ended up being teachers, instructors, so forth. So Ryan, back to you. I saw that you actually spent four years, uh, according to LinkedIn, as a teacher. Was that kind of the same situation that you were doing that as part of the Army or that was something separate? That was something separate. So my career path is taking some twists and turns. Uh, when I, after I commissioned um, into the Army, uh, December 2008, uh, my mandatory initial entry training type stuff. I uh, got back in August of 2009 uh, with my, and I had my degree in education, but by that time it was too late to get a teaching job. Uh, so my initial intent was, you know, do the Army Reserves, uh, do, like I said previously, do my minimum commitment, if you will, and get out. Uh, but an opportunity came up to go on a full-time status for a couple years, did that, uh, got done with that, got married. And was like, all right, I want to go part-time with this, kind of figure out what I want to be, if you will. Uh, and I taught for four years in, Indian, uh, in the city of Indianapolis. Uh, I enjoyed it. Um, but then about 2016, the opportunity came up uh, to do the Army full-time again. Uh, and I went ahead and pursued that. And as far as the teaching thing, I'm actually an assistant professor of military science right now uh, at the University of Richmond. Um, and in that regard... That is for the Army. So we are official, you know, it's part of the Army ROTC program here. The Army assigned me to be here. I've been here for about 12, what, 16 months, I would say. Um, so the first time I was a teacher, that was when I was doing the Army part-time. Okay, okay. Now you talk a little bit about reserves. Um, can you shed a little light on the difference between reserves, full-time, National Guard, any insights you can provide there? Oh, yeah, I have to talk about this all the time. All right. Um, so as far as the Army, uh, and all the branches are similar uh, in this regard. So we have the active duty. Those are the guys who do it full time. That is their job, nine to five. Uh, you know, they're always on duty um, of that nature. Uh, then you have the reserves and the guard. Uh, they're very similar uh, in their duties, roles, responsibilities. But the reserves is a federally owned force. So they work for you know, United States government first and foremost, uh, and they're going to work on that to, we'll say, to dumb it down. Orders given by the president and on down, right? So they work for the federal government first, um, and then the, res uh, sorry, I apologize. The National Guard works for the state government first. So, you know, a national disaster happens. The National Guard, their number one, our first responsibility is to respond to that national disaster. Um, the reserves and the active force can respond to that national disaster, but there's a lot more paperwork and there's a process to get them there, uh, which must more drawn out. As far as responsibilities, you know, the active duty that's full time, every day, all day. Where uh, reserves and guard is, it is what you make it, if you will. You know, like the commercials say, one week in a month, two weeks a year. Uh, that's semi true. Uh, positions of responsibility, you're going to have to put in more time, you know, or if you want to put in more time. You know, I know reserve members reserve members and army national guard who have 
been in some sort of full-time status almost their whole career because that's what they wanted. Uh, I'm still in the Army Reserve, but I'm a full-time member. Uh, so I'm not active duty, but I, everyone I work with is active duty right now. And I, as far as pay benefits, all that, it's the exact same. Uh, I'm just under a different umbrella. Okay. Okay. So, uh, Ben, I'd love to hear about your boot camp experience. I think sometimes students are a little concerned about going through boot camp. Uh, how much did you do, do to prepare for that? And were you as prepared as you, as you needed to be? How did that go? So I'll just start out with um, boot camp has changed since I went through, um, at least for the Navy. So uh, I did a little bit of preparation for it, but personally, I didn't do a whole lot. Uh, the Navy recruiters are the ones who are going to be the ones that give that information. So okay. they, they prep you for that. You can walk in and talk to them about that process and they'll gladly tell you how to prepare. Everybody's a little bit different, you know. Some people uh, do sports through all of high school and they're not going to need as much preparation as somebody who doesn't do that. So it's all on a case by case basis. Um, But yeah, it was, it wasn't bad. Like personally, I had, I I didn't hate it. I didn't, can't say I liked it. Um, (laughs) It's just something you go through. So, right. Right. So it, it, it can be done. It's not so, so difficult that, that people are going to struggle and so forth. Uh, Ryan, any good uh, boot camp stories? So to get my commission, I don't have to go to, didn't have to go to boot camp. <laughs> so how it works is in between, uh, and it's this is still generally true today because I'm assigned to ROTC. Uh, so in between cadets junior and senior year, they have to go to what used to be called LDAC, uh, leadership development something, I don't even remember now. Um, assessment camp maybe uh but now it's called cadet summer training uh and between their junior and senior year they go to um fort knox for about 40 days and they're so the first little bit you know the basic training type stuff just some of that training uh land navigation um firing your rifle but the real focus is to stress them out and see if they can actually lead uh because they've been trained for three years so we're going to stress them out uh, and then other events that would normally be in boot camp and done, we integrate throughout the, you know, throughout those three years leading up. And there's certain stuff we just can't do on our university. So it's done that summer. So uh, they split everything up and spread it out. Um, so I don't have any good boot camp. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. So uh, Ryan, what would you say has been the most rewarding part of your life in the U S army? I mean, I, I guess I just hit some highlights. I don't know if I could stick you know, a specific example, um, but some highlights of things that have happened. You know, I was a company commander a few years ago. I guess it was more than a few, but I was a company commander. So I was in charge of about 110 to 150 people. Um, and, you know, it really gave me that peek behind the curtain. Uh, everyone, almost everyone was older than me. Uh, that's one thing. If you go the officer route, a lot of times your soldiers are older than you. Um, but I was really able to influence them uh, in ways that I, hadn't been able to before, you know, through, you know, serious issues. You know, I had soldiers in my office dealing with divorce, bankruptcy, um, physical fitness issues, mental health issues. Uh, and in the end, all of them came out the back end better uh, through me and my first sergeant, who is, you know, my right-hand man at that time. We were able to get them all, you know, enhanced, improved, and they all came out the back end of ever. So, you know, it made me feel like, you know, 
I was doing the right thing, uh, not only for myself, but for those soldiers. So that was probably one of the best parts or best experience I've had. You know, I've been a lot, just done some stuff, um, but that was enjoyable. And now I feel for the first time in my career, my civilian education, you know, I got both my bachelor's and my master's in education, uh, as well as that civilian experience as a teacher. I'm finally able to leverage uh, teaching the cadets. So I teach almost every grade level, senior, uh, freshman through senior, depending on the semester and day, if you will. Um, so now I feel like I'm finally able to leverage my civilian experience. So I say those would, two things would be the most rewarding. Right, right. Uh, I don't know if that's the best answer. But. Oh, no, that's good. And, and, you know, I like what you said about, you know, the idea of just because these are soldiers doesn't mean they're not dealing with a lot of other issues uh, that are going on in the lives of civilians and, and people in the military and so forth. So I think that's important to remember. Um, you know, and just made me think of something else before we have Ben answer that question. With you being there as a teacher at uh, Richmond, do you have trainings and things that you still have to do? Are there times where you have to go do, um, you know, work out in the field or are you pretty much in the classroom all the time? Uh, so we serve two masters, if you will. Uh, we still work for, we still have a higher headquarters that we work for and we have to, you know, do everything they say that higher headquarters is army wise. Right. right. So there's still stuff we have to do. Um, and then we serve the university. Uh, so as far as trainings and like going out in the field, we take the cadets out to the field, uh, a minimum of twice a semester, like I said, and that helps us simulate that basic training type stuff. Obviously it's not as high stress, at, uh, but get some of those experiences. And then every summer, uh, we're required to go to that cadet summer training that we send the cadets to. So okay. summer I was gone for, I think 65 days, uh, there in Fort Knox, um, which my wife wasn't a super big fan of, but it is what it is because right, uh, right. it was close enough, but still far enough. Um, so we still have to do some training requirements, but our main focus is on the cadets and their training and you know, integrate with them. We still have to take our annual fitness test, but we normally just take it with them. Um, so it, yes, we still have to do trains and our requirements, um, but our number one focus is to, you know, prepare those cadets. Okay. All right, Ben, over to you. Uh, what All has right, been so, the most rewarding experience for you in the military? So there's actually two of them. So uh, the experience wise in 2013 to 2017, I was an instructor up at the training command in upstate New York. And uh, during that you have classes come through and they're uh, of students doing their, their last wave of training for the nuclear pipeline. Um, that's also the first time that a lot of the, and I say kids, but the, the, the young adults are actually uh, living on their own for the first time. So up to that point, they've lived in Navy barracks. They've been at boot camp. Um, it's a lot more stringent and rigid. And they come up and go through this training and they're in an apartment on their own. They're learning how to take care of finances and all those things that you have to learn how to deal with. At the same time, they're dealing with a very compressed and challenging school. Um, and watching them grow up through that. So you see them grow both personally and professionally as they figure out what they're doing for operations of a, of a nuclear power plant. And you see how they're dealing with everything else for um, living out on their own. So that's probably the single most rewarding job I've had. Um, and that was a three-year instructor tour, um, extremely challenging, very long hours, but extremely rewarding. 
Um, second to that was my tour on the USS Theodore Roosevelt. Um, and it, that's a that's a twofold one. So I spent about a little over a year, about a year, it's all blurred together, um, running reactor propulsion division. So we were responsible for the propulsion, entire uh, propulsion train. So the main engines, the shafts, getting the ship moving at whatever speed we needed it. We also owned the turbine generators for making power. We owned the distilling units for making the water. So we were kind of the, the central hub of the ship. Um, and there was 150-ish people that worked for me. Um, and I had some of the best leaders that I served with there uh, to kind of help maintain all of that. Uh, and it was just, just a great experience uh, in learning and developing and teaching and just all of that. And right behind that was the, uh, the Theodore Roosevelt's COVID deployment in 2020 when we got stuck in Guam and seeing everybody come together to get us through that was another great time. Uh, very challenging, but you, you, you dig deep and learn a lot about yourself and those that you're working with. Right, right. So Ben, if you could talk a little bit, you said earlier that you've been on, you've been deployed four, four times mm -hmm. and you know, what's that like um, as far as having to leave family? Ryan talked about, you know, his wife wasn't happy when he had to go away for a few months and you're talking about being on a ship for a year. Um, what, what would high school students have to be considering as they uh, would have to deal with being away from family and friends? So we'll start with different rates in the Navy. Um, and I'm sure the Army and other branches are similar, have different deployment schedules and cycles. So um, Navy ships have a, they go through a, a life cycle where they do a maintenance period, then they'll do some amount of workup periods uh, and deployment preparations, and then they'll deploy. Um, that's just a normal schedule. Then they come back and based on the type of ship or uh, what the life cycle is at that point, they'll either prep for another deployment with a, some amount of maintenance period, or they'll go into another large maintenance period. It all kind of varies. Um, so it's ship by ship. Deployments as a, as a whole though, uh, they average about six to nine months. Um, it sucks leaving family. There's no other way to say it. Like it's, it's definitely challenging, um, but you do get to go places like you join the Navy to go see the world. That's how you do it is those deployments. So um, I did two deployments to uh, off the East coast through Europe, down through the Suez canal into the uh, Persian Gulf. And then I did two deployments on the Pacific coast. One of them, we went across, uh, ended up hitting up some Pacific uh, port calls and then ended up in the Persian Gulf. And then one, the final deployment we ended up doing, uh, it's called a seventh fleet deployment. It's where you hang, you hang out in the Pacific for most of it. So uh, we'd end up going into the Persian Gulf area for that one. Yeah. So you've basically been around the world um, going each, each direction to end up in the same place in the Persian Gulf. So uh, Ryan, any, any advice you would have for people as they think about having to deal with being away from family and friends? Yeah. Um, so I've been lucky. I don't have a combat deployment. Um, so I haven't had to be in a way. I mean, the longest I think I've been, I've gone is like three or four months. Uh, but I have not had to support OEF, OIF uh, in the Middle East uh, due to some weird circumstances, if you will. Um, but I mean, make it what it is or get out of it, right? So wherever you are, you know, there are opportunities to 
to expand, you know, professionally or personally, whether it's, you know, taking school at night. Uh, I've had soldiers earn degrees during on deployments, um, you know, work out. Uh, plenty of soldiers get super fit on deployments. I actually had a battalion commander who went from, and this was prior to arriving at my unit, but went from, you know, in good shape to, for lack of a better term, you know, a stud when he got in good shape before, you know, top 10, 20% on all his PT tests, and, but, you know, got super in shape when he got back. So, you know, you, there are opportunities. It's just what you make of it. And, you know, the army sent me away to a lot of schools and training for a month here, two months here, three months here. Um, you know, I got to what gold medallion status on Delta airline very quickly. Um, they will let you rack up points, uh, but you have to, pick their fares and have multiple layovers, but that's another discussion. Um, but I flew a lot, traveled a lot there for a couple of years. Um, and I always try to, you know, embrace wherever I am uh, to get the most out of it. Uh, I did get stationed in Puerto Rico for almost two years. Uh, so my whole family moved to Puerto Rico. Uh, so that was an interesting challenge. Um, it's part of the U.S. Uh, it's a territory. Um, so it's not true not as you'd expect. Uh, there are two official languages there in Puerto Rico, English and Spanish. Um, and we tried to embrace that culture as much as we could as well. Uh, so it's it, anywhere you go, you know, it is what you make it. So if you want to experience the culture, experience, you know, the local fair, or whatever, or if you're stuck locked in a room or on a boat, you know, what do you have time to do? What can you do to improve yourself? If you sit and, you know, mope on it, if you will, uh, you're not going to get much out of it. And in the end, you're going to regret your decision to join said branch. All right, Ben, we, we uh, hit Ryan with a tough question last time. We'll hit you this time. So what okay. advice would you have for someone who's considering joining the Navy? I would say do your research. So um, there's a lot of, lot of different rates and options that the Navy can give. Um, Every one of them has their own unique things that you can you can tailor in. Every everybody who's looking at joining has something that they enjoy doing or they want to pursue, whether that be for a 20-year career in the military or they want to get some of the benefits after a four or six-year contract and then get out. But whatever they do following that, there's going to be an aspiration or a joy that comes that they have for that. So if you want to teach find the job that most relates to that in the, in the military or the Navy and go do that. Um, if you want to go be a nurse or a doctor, go be a corpsman, go, go get those initial skill sets to help you be successful later in life. Um, but do the research first, go talk to the recruiters and work with them. Um, it's your life and I fully support people joining and whether you do four years, six years, 20 or 30, uh, you're still doing more than most people do. So do what you can and thank you for your time and service. All right, Ryan, what would you say if someone's on the fence about joining the army? Uh, what, what advice would you give to that person? I mean, I, I have to agree with Ben on the first part, do your research. Um, so part of my job is I help my boss do uh, interviews or uh, with uh, high school students who are interested in ROT, specifically interested in a scholarship. Um, and, you know, when I hear, oh, I want to do 20 years in the Army and join the infantry. No, you don't. You don't know that yet. I, I joke around often uh, with everyone. I think I actually said it on this interview. You know, I still don't know what I want to be when I'm a grown up. Like, I enjoy what I do. I have zero complaints. But my career path continues to change and evolve. 
Um, and I've been, I started this journey you know, 17 years ago, 2004 was when I started RC, and I still don't know. So, you know, if you ask me right now, where are you going to be in four years? I can't tell you. I don't know what that is. I want to keep, you know, stay in the army, but do your research. Cause I hear that a lot. I want to be active duty. I want to do this, this, you don't know what you don't know yet. Um, so do your research. Cause ultimately we've also had, you know, we've had cadets start the program, ROTC that is start the program, go through, uh, you know, um, a couple months. Like I don't want to be in the army. I chose poorly. Uh, or I want to be infantry um xyz and then they sleep in the woods one time it's the first time they've ever slept in the woods I'm like oh no oh no i don't like that at all <laughs> you know we do land navigation at night and they're scared of the dark for lack of a better term but they want to be you know they want to be infantry i'm like guys so just do your research you don't you don't know what you don't know um and i won't speak for all of the military but generally if you ask someone in the military a question about they're going to answer and, you know, they'll be honest and truthful as they can within reason, obviously, and try to help you. Uh, even if that, you know, the answer isn't what you want to hear, they're going to try and give you the best information they can to help educate you. Right. right. Well, yeah, I think that's a big key is just getting experience. Uh, yeah, I think I see a lot of students who say, yes, I'm definitely doing this when I graduate from high school. And it's like, well, you might, and I hope you do, but not a guarantee by any means. Uh, so I guess one fun question here, Army and Navy, you know, we see them play football every year and a uh, week or two after Thanksgiving. And uh, is that rivalry really as big as we see on TV with the football game? Or do you guys get along pretty well in general? I'd say we get along pretty well in general. So um, Navy works very closely with Marine Corps. Um, if you go look at overseas uh, combat deployments that the Army does. There's usually Navy nearby. Uh, we have troops on the ground over there as well. Um, it, I don't think it really matters what branch you're in. Like, it's yeah, it's a friendly rivalry, but they're also, you know, if you go back to Ryan's other comment, West Point is a big school. The Naval Academy is a big school. They're going to have a rivalry between the two. So, you know, is it is it fun banter back and forth every now and again? Yeah, but if we have to get together and actually go execute a mission, it's not going to matter. We know where we need to fall, and we'll do what we have to do to, to get through it. So we're all in this together. Yeah. Ryan, similar thoughts? Yeah, I would agree. Um, just a couple of things to add, you know. Um, it's coming. I would say the rivalry is bigger, bigger at the two academies, you know, like, a school, like Ohio State, Michigan, right? Right. Um, it's bigger at the schools. I mean, I guess there's some people in Ohio who won't, use the letter M, whatever, that's stupid. Uh, go blue. Um, Big Ten champs. But it's more, it's bigger at the schools, the academy. So the Naval Academy, West Point, it's a thing. Uh, a few years ago, there's probably more than a few now, the Army hadn't won in like a decade, the Army-Navy game, and the Army won, and we got three days off, and it was awesome. Won a few more games over the years, so it's not as frequent that we get three days off. Um, and like Ben said, we were – I've been to joint schools where I work with Navy, Marines, Army, Air Force. Um, so definitely, uh, and my recruiter actually, not my recruiter, but the program recruiter, so our recruitment operations officer, he's a former Navy guy. Um, so we harass each other from time to time of, you know, who's better. Um, and he has assured me that the Navy quality of life is far better than ours. Uh, <laughs> but the Air Force has it better than both of us as far as quality of life. 
I mean, they get everywhere they go, they have air conditioning, microwaves, fridges, TV. I mean, shoot. <laughs> All right. So as we wrap up, um, what's something you know now about life after high school and careers that you wish you had known when you were in high school? You, you'll notice more and more that there's fewer and fewer people staying with one company or organization for a career. Even in our, even in my field, you'll see, yeah, you have some people stay for 20, but you'll look around at uh, civilian counterparts we work with and they bounce around, or you look at your classmates that are out in, uh, throughout the country uh, and they've bounced between jobs a couple of times. So if you think you're going to go work for one company for the rest of your life, you might be selling yourself short. Um, that's not to say that people don't do it. You've been at Van Buren for quite a while, Mr. Brat. So there's, there's definitely people that still do that. But at high school, that's kind of how it felt is you'll get out, you'll start a career, and you'll just work up that corporate ladder. And that's not actually how reality works. Um, you got to bounce around. There's sacrifices you have to make that don't just, don't just happen. It's, it takes real work and grit and getting your hands dirty to get to those accomplishments that you might want to get to. So that's probably the biggest thing that looking back, it's, it's not just sunshine and roses on the other side. It's, it's hard work and grit and, and sometimes sacri a lot of sacrifices to get the things you need uh, for whatever career you're pursuing to be successful. Over to you, Ryan. Yeah. Um, so if I could give young me three pieces of advice or, you know, any high school student uh, in no particular order, you know, I'll start with kind of what Ben said. Um, expect change, anticipate change. Uh, change is the only constant in life. So if you're committed to this is my job and I'm going to live here and do this, um, it's probably not going to happen. Uh, so just expect that change um, Two, leave home. So. I've moved seven or eight times since I graduated college. Uh, my wife has been there for all of them. Um, and my kids have went to four or five different schools. My two youngest, that is, went to four or five different schools. Uh, and they're seven and eight. Um, now that we live in Virginia, this is the first time they haven't been the minority in their school. Uh, so I would say they have a much well more well-versed uh, education experience than I did, uh, just dealing with all those different populations. Uh, and I feel the same, you know, leave home, see the world, not necessarily the world. You don't have to join the Navy and see the entire world, uh, Ben, but leave home, do something, explore, travel, go to school somewhere that makes you feel uncomfortable, go on vacation, not to Disney World every year and go somewhere you've never been uh, because you're gonna experience those other cultures and meet new people because the, you know, the center of the universe is not where you grew up. It may be, uh, you know, sometime in the future, but shift that. Um, and then the third advice I wish I would have had or known is money matters. Uh, when I was a younger soldier, a uh, younger officer with not as many financial commitments, I spent money on dumb stuff. Um, so money matters, you know, go ahead, buy the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Got by um, Dave Ramsey's book uh, and just learn about personal finances and money because they're letting, you know, as an 18 year old kid, you can go take out a hundred grand in student loan, 
for no idea what it's for. Um, and then you graduate that, that has to be back. Um, so those would be the three, I guess. Leave money, money matters and change happens. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. I think that's some great advice. Thank you very much for the service that both of you have given to our country and appreciate that you guys are doing that work to protect me and my family and, and Van Buren and everything else. And, uh, thank you very much for that. Some very insightful comments. And yeah, I think if there are people who are interested in the military, you provided some really good ideas for them to consider. And good luck to you as you continue throughout your career paths. And I hope to talk to you again in the future. Thanks for having us. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you for watching this interview with servicemen Ben Etzler and Ryan Caligieri. I hope you learned valuable information from their career stories. And to be sure you don't miss upcoming interviews, please click subscribe so you'll know when the next episode is released. Thank you for watching, and as always, remember the best part about Mondays is interviewing people.